Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please. How are you guys doing this morning? What in worship, awesome. And we are blessed to have such a wholehearted and anointed worship team. All right, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of today's sermon is Many But One. Many But One. Our text begins in Ephesians 2, verse 11, and I have an embarrassing confession to make. This isn't the first thing I've entitled Many But One. In uh, 1995, I joined a fraternity at my university. And there were 35 of us guys that were going into Kappa Sigma. And we were really excited about this fraternity and, and, and our pledge class. And I don't know if you know what a pledge class is. It's the group of guys that are pledging to be a part of this fraternity. So you can kind of get it like I pledge allegiance to this fraternity. Kind of cheesy. Um, you were supposed to have three letters to identify your pledge class. And so we picked the letters M-B-O. Can anyone guess what that stood for? You got it. Many but one. Uh, we said it more enthusiastically than you guys. You were like, many but one. Many but one. And here's why. The reason we did it is we looked across our pledge class, these 35 guys, and said, okay, we are such a diverse group. Like, Johnny is really tall. And this guy named Bobo, he was really short. And then there was Derek, who was really hefty. And then there was a guy named Andrew, who was really skinny. And one guy was a musician, and another guy was this big jock. And then some guys were outdoorsmen, and other were you know, the metro guys, and we just thought, man, we are so diverse. We're many, but we come together to be one. And actually, we had this chant even that we did about this, like, MBO, you know, we did. <laughs> I, was I was afraid someone would ask me, okay, y'all want to hear the chant? This is so, this gets really embarrassing. We started by going, oh, and then we went, if you think you're number one, you're number two instead. And if you think you're MBO, you must have bumped your head. You bumped it hard. Okay, super. I can't. All right. So... <laughs> It really has nothing to do with the sermon today. <laughs> okay, so really and truly, it was so silly that we called ourselves MBO Mini, but one, and we celebrated our diversity because really, we were one of the most homogenous groups you could have imagined. It was all guys that were the same age, 18 to 19 years old. Everyone was a university student. Everyone came from the same economic strata, and we were all white. But wow, we were many but one. And I, I, I think that's pretty normal for humanity, right? We, we really end up in, in, in very homogenous, very undiverse groupings. People just tend to hang out with people that are just like them. 
And you guys know the church, for the most part in America, has had a reputation of being most guilty of this. Like, we're known as the church even for grouping off with people just like us. And, and that's what Paul is addressing here when he comes into the 11th verse of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for about four weeks now, and we just finished chapter one, and I read through the first five verses of chapter two. Kendall will be preaching next week as I'm in Mongolia on verses six through 10, and so you don't want to miss that. But today we're going to jump into this concept of many but one, and it starts with this word. It says, therefore, remember that you who were formerly Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, in parentheses, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, this is, is what I know. You come to a text like this, and, and this isn't the common text you're going to camp out on in your FaceTime, in your devotional life. We kind of get to the Jews and Gentiles, the circumcision parts, and we just kind of go past those and go, okay, now let's get to the love part, right? But I want to tell you that this, this text is really important, and this text kind of reminds me of some of the debates we have in our country over issues that many Americans feel like, well, that affects someone else in our country, but not me. Here's one of them is immigration. I, I hear people talk all the time, and they just kind of throw out their opinions on immigration, but it doesn't hit close to home. In the same week, I've been in someone's mansion in the suburbs that talk about, you know, the, the cost that undocumented people or illegal immigrants have on our healthcare system or on labor and how it's driving up wages. Uh, and, and then in the same regard, having groups and friends spanning all types of different genres and economic stratas. I, I, I'm in the house with people who are undocumented, who are illegal in, uh, immigrants in this country, and they talk about why they came to this country, and they talk about the hardships that they're encountering. You know, in a church like this, a multi-ethnic church, these are issues that are very important to us, that, that come right to the forefront. And don't worry, this sermon is not about immigration. But I, I do want to address the fact that if you just look to your right and your left, you're seeing people that don't look like you, that speak different languages, that come from different backgrounds. As of our last count, we had over 25 countries represented in this congregation, and that number is rapidly growing. Right now, we don't just preach in English, but we also translate into three other languages on a Sunday morning. We're 40 almost 40% other ethnicities. And so this group, you're going you're gonna to experience some, some interesting opportunities. So let me just explain to you one of mine. I'm, I'm sitting across from someone who's illegally in our country, but a member of this church. A very godly person, a, a serving person, on fire for Jesus, someone that I love deeply. But they're sharing with me the challenges of not having citizenship 
in the United States. You know, they don't get to vote like I do, and that's something that's precious to me. That might not be that important to some of you, but listen to this. They can't legally get a job in our country. Or when they're older, they won't be able to draw from Social Security. These little rights that are just normal for many people are huge privileges that this person's doing without. And so they often feel like, man, I'm starting on a starting line 50 yards behind where you are. And that's what Paul is illustrating. And I use that as an analogy for you to understand when he says in verse 12, remember that you at a time were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. Now let's go back to the, the first verse that we looked at, verse 11. It says this, remember you who were Gentiles by birth. Now wh- what are Gentiles? Let's illustrate it this way. If you are ethnically Jewish in this room, if you're of Hebrew descent, will you raise your hand right now? One, two, awesome. We're glad you're here. There's two people in this room. If you are of any other ethnicity besides Jewish, will you please raise your hand right now? It's not a trick question. Okay, that's, look, look, look around. That's everyone else in this room. You're the Gentiles. If you just had your hand raised, you were a Gentile. Now, we don't often think about the delineation between Jews and Gentiles when we're reading the Bible, but in order to really understand this text, you've got to do it for a minute. Actually, in San Diego, there are some some Jewish communities. I used to live in Del Cerro, right across the highway, and there's a Jewish synagogue, and many of my neighbors were Jewish. Here in the college area, uh, right up here, northeast of here, many people are Jewish by ethnicity. You have to understand that the Jewish culture was a very distinctive culture. They were the children of Abraham, a man that God called out. They were in his biological lineage. And God gave them very clear commandments to follow and regulations, such as regulations that affected what they ate, what they wear, how they washed. Almost every single aspect of their life was affected by these ordinances, regulations, rules and commandments that would set them apart as holy people. And this is how Paul starts this message. He basically says, hey, remember, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at a time you were separated from Christ. He's like, hey, remember, you're not chosen. Can you imagine? Oh, thanks, Pastor Paul. That's how he starts the message. Hey, remember, you were not the chosen people. You weren't those people. But here's the the, the thing you have to understand about Paul. He was one. He was a Jewish homie. And he's the one who's writing this book. He's the author. But here's the interesting thing. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's in the temple, the Jewish temple, by the way, and he's worshiping God. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in a trance. Not Jesus in a trance. Paul's in a trance. Jesus shows up in the trance. And Jesus says, hey, Paul, the Jews are about to kill you. You need to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. Man, this is so fascinating. So Paul, a Jew, goes to start sharing the good news with the Gentiles. And so 
He's in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a place in Turkey where it's not Jews, it's a bunch of Gentiles. And now he's telling these people, hey, you weren't a Jew. You're not chosen. Listen, listen this, is, this is even funnier to me about what he's going to say next. He goes, verse, verse 12, remember that at the time you were separated from Christ. Hey, thanks for that encouragement, Paul. Excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants and promises, without hope and without God. He's kind of like trying to paint just how bad it was. Hey, you were separated, you're excluded, you're without hope, you're without God. Okay, now let me tell you why I think he's doing this. <clears throat> Sometimes in our daily circumstances, we can get so discouraged by what's not going on in our life. You're working your job, and all of a sudden, someone else gets the raise. And you're like, life stinks. My life is awful. Or, I mean, it can be as simple as your colleague comes in, your coworker comes in, they have, you know, four nice, steamy, mocha frappuccino, coca mongos, or whatever they are, walks in, and hands them out to all their coworkers except you. And you're like, God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> you know I like Starbucks, Lord, and I didn't get it. Or, or you're, in, you know, you're in class, and all of a sudden you needed an A, you got a B. And you're like, oh, Lord, what, my life is falling apart. You're in elementary school. The, the teacher doesn't see you do something good. Give someone else the sticker on the chart. The smiley face has gone to someone else. And you're like, woe is me. And, and I'm serious, that's how we can get in life. It's silly the things that I can get discouraged and down about in life. Can I get an amen? I mean, someone can cut me off in a car and I can be like, the world is going to hell. This, I, I can just get so discouraged so quickly. And so what Paul is doing is saying, hey, guys, <laughs> remember a while back you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from all the covenants and the promises. You were without hope. You were going to hell. So be happy. Be thankful for what's happened. That's good. So he goes on to say this. He says, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were far away. You were excluded. You were separated. You were going to hell. Things were really bad for you. And over here, these, these Jewish people, they were God's chosen people. Oh, that was so good. And, and, and you couldn't do anything about it. Because you were just off over here. And he's saying now, by the blood of Christ. Something that could only happen by birth has happened to you. You know, you're like, bummer, I was born in a different country. I'm an Egyptian, I'm not an Isra Israelite, bummer to be me. He's saying, no, now it's not about what ethnicity you were born, it's about what Jesus did on the cross. And it says, by his blood. Guys, when his, his hands were pierced, blood flowed down. When his back was scourged, Blood flowed down. When his side was pierced, blood flowed down, and it cleanses us of our sin. The Bible says all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible also says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin 
and live for righteousness by his wounds, we are healed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and allows us to be born into a new beginning. Let's keep reading here. This is really interesting to me. For he himself, verse 14, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of, hospi- of hostility. Now, you've got to understand, there was a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. So think about it. All the civilizations that you studied in high school, the Greeks, the Romans, the Chinese, the Mongolian dynasty, <clears throat> the Africans, the South Americans, all of these ethnicities, there was a wall between them and the Jewish people. The Jewish people were set apart for God. And what does Jesus say? He says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Let me just illustrate it this way. <coughs> two years ago, we went to Brazil for the first time. We were exploring the country of where our missionaries should go and launch our all people's work there. We were with Dan and Christy Vanderwall and Tom and John Kimsey, who are currently in Porto Alegre, Brazil, working as missionaries with All People's Church. At the time, we were in Manaus, which is one of the northern cities on the Amazon. So we were exploring the city. We administered in a church. We're going through all these barrios. We have an afternoon off. And so we wanted to do a little sightseeing. So we asked some locals, what should we see in Manaus? And they said, you need to see the meeting of the waters. What's the meeting of the waters, we asked. And they said, it's where the Amazon really comes and becomes this great body of water. And some people say it's the headwaters of the Amazon. It's where the Salamoas River, which is a chalky kind of uh, coffee-looking white, cocoa, warm body of water, joins the Rio Negro, which is dark and cool and more clear. Now, let's put up this picture of it so you can actually see this. You see this huge discrepancy, this delineation between these two waters. All of a sudden, these two waters converge. Let's show the aerial picture of that. You see these two rivers, the Rio Negro coming from this side, the Salamoas coming from this side, and boom, they intersect together. So we get in this boat, put up the first picture, and we're going out in this Salamoas River, this light chalky, they say, actually, put your hand in it. And you put your hand in, and it feels warm. And it's flowing at a certain speed. And then the boat crosses over. They say, keep your hand in the water. <clears throat> and at the time, you're thinking about all those big fish from river creatures um, and trying to think, oh, Lord, please let my fingers make it. But you cross into our river monsters. I think that's the show. You cross into the darker part, and the, the t- it changes temperatures. It's cooler. It's moving faster. And so actually for several miles, they just come together but flow separately until they finally totally inter, uh, intermix and become what's known as just the Amazon River. No longer is it known as the Salamoas. No longer is it known as the Rio Negro. Now it's the Amazon, one of the most powerful, majestic rivers on all of the earth. This is what God was doing when he sent Jesus to take upon sin in his body, 
to destroy that so that we could become new. This is what he was doing. Let me, let me further illustrate it by showing you a diagram of what was going on in ancient times. <clears throat> so you had the temple. If you wanted to worship the one true God, you went to the temple that was found in Jerusalem. Now, if you were a Gentile like me, like all of you but two in this room, you would say, cool, I'm going to go worship God. You go to the temple, and then, boom, you get stuck in the outer court of the Gentiles. You're there, you're at the temple, but that's where you go, and that's where you stay. Now, if you're a Hebrew woman, a little better for you, okay? You're Hebrew, but you're still a woman. So you get stuck in a little closer court. You're out here, but if you're a Hebrew man, a little closer, it's getting a little better, you get into the court of Israel, and that's where you get to worship. If you're a priest, you're the bomb. You get like in that center court right there. All the people coming to worship God, but there is a wall dividing you. All in one location, but we are segregated. So what does scripture say? It says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus, if you put up this diagram, Jesus destroyed the wall. So all of a sudden, this wall of the Gentiles is no longer there. They flow into the women's court. The women now flow into the men's court. We are all together, and we are all the priesthood of Jesus. And so it's no longer the special status of just the priests. We all become one, approaching the throne of grace together. It's amazing. Verse 15. By setting aside... <clears throat> In his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. So again, the Jews had all these laws, all these regulations. Why? To show that they were God's set apart people. You could look at them and say, okay, by the way they wash their hands, by the way they eat their food, and they don't eat that. No matter what you do, don't eat pork, don't eat a pig, because you're God's people. Because of what they do and because of what they don't do, they are set aside as God's people. Now, Jesus says, uh-uh. It's because I took that law in my flesh and I satisfied the requirements of that law by what I did on the cross. By what he did on the cross, it says it was set aside. His purpose and this is when it gets, starts getting really good, so get ready. <clears throat> His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave us all who believe in him the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. So, we talked about it last week. Those who don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, those that are not believers in Christ, this is a picture of them. <laughs> they're dead. Okay? If you don't have Jesus, it's not like, hey, they're just like me. No, they are dead. Okay? 
And it says in Romans 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in the way you used to live, satisfying the sinful cravings of your flesh. I mean, it's even worse than being dead because you're the living dead. You're like, satisfy my cravings. You're like a zombie. That's not good. But then it goes on to say, but you were made alive in Christ when you were saved by grace. Not by all the works and all the laws and eating all the right things and wearing all the right things and not doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all your sins. He defeated the power of sin and death. He's raised into new life, and then he brings you into it. And he places, when we say, Jesus, I need a Savior, he places his Holy Spirit in you, and all of a sudden, you get a new operating system. Let me explain it this way. Jews, they were like Apple computers. They were like the MacBook. Okay? Gentiles, we were PCs. We were Dell computers, okay, and, and Sony and, you know, different things, okay. And so we had all these different colors, but here's what happened. Jesus, when he died, he gave us all a new operating system. So all of a sudden, the, the PC... The Dell, the Sony, has a new living operating system. But guess what? If these people give their lives to Christ, they have a new operating system. And all of a sudden, we both have the same operating system. Oh, yeah, this Apple, it might look all sleek and shiny and white, but it's the exact same as the poor little gray PC. Because inside, they're made alive in Christ. The guts are the exact same. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I I remember when I first started traveling overseas, going on mission trips. I went to India, and India was about as different from the United States as any place I had been. I mean, it was just, everything was different about, actually the first place I went was Nepal, and we were in these little rickshaws driving down these dark streets, and I'm going, ah, it's like pitch black. We're like on a bicycle rickshaw going like through temples, and I'm like, ah, I'm Indiana Jones. I'm about to die. Okay, it was so different than where I grew up on these big lane highways in your uh, uh, truck, and everything was different. I get into a church in Calcutta. Now, Calcutta is very different from Austin, Texas, where I grew up. But I go into this church in Calcutta, and I meet a guy named Desmond, and we were very different. I'm very tall. He was very short. I have white skin. He has darker skin. You know, I talk kind of like this, and he talked like this. Like, Like, everything was different about us. But within moments, there was this kinship. There was this kindred spirit. There was this, you're my brother. And I felt more akin to him. I felt more unified with him. I felt more linked with him. I felt more family with him than my neighbors in Austin, Texas that looked exactly like me, the same color skin, same socioeconomic status, same high school, same everything. Why? Because he had the same 
operating system. He had the same inner man. He was made alive. A lot of my neighbors were like this, spiritually. But Desmond, we were both alive. And so all of a sudden I'm going, this guy is my family. This is what scripture says. His purpose, listen to this, was to create in himself one new humanity. Say new humanity. His purpose was to create one new humanity. It's amazing. People of all different ethnicities. Okay, there are about 195 sovereign nations. But there are thousands and thousands of ethnicities, of ethnos, of people groups with their distinctive language and culture. But Jesus is saying they're all like that river. They're all merging into one new humanity. And that is the people who are born again. They're born of the spirit. They're no longer spiritually dead. They are one people. He's making one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. Jesus is the peacemaker. Jesus is the peacemaker. Let me just say something bold just for a second. There will never be peace in the Middle East until Jesus returns. So as Americans, we often watch the news and we're like, come on, guys. Why can't the Jews and the Palestinians just get along? Like, come on, just share, right? Like it's some, like, third grade dispute. And here's why there won't be peace. Because intrinsic in who they are, there is division. Why? The Jews came from Abraham, but they came specifically from the son Isaac, who went one way. The Palestinians, who are Muslims, trace their lineage back to a son named Ishmael, who went another way. Intrinsic in being a Jew is one language. Intrinsic in being a Palestinian is another language. Intrinsic in being a Jew is one religion. Intrinsic in being a Palestinian is another religion. Intrinsic in being a Jew is one type of culture. Intrinsic in being a Palestinian is one culture. Intrinsic in being a Jew is an ideology about the land they're on. Intrinsic in being a Palestinian is an ideology about the land that they want. So do you understand that there won't be peace except for that which comes from the prince of peace. There's hostility between the two groups. But when a Jew accepts the prince of peace into his life, he is made a new humanity. And when a Palestinian accepts the Prince of Peace into his life, which many are doing, by the way, right now, they become a new creation, a new humanity, and they become like brothers. Actually, much more true brothers than actually someone of your own bloodline from your own biological family. Jesus is doing the impossible in making peace. We, we, we see this in Acts 13. If you want to skip there, 
really quickly. This is amazing. Acts 13, it's a prototypical church which we model all peoples after. And in Acts 13, something interesting was going on. I'm going to read to you the first verse. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting together. Now, let me just explain something to you because you might just think those are old names. No, these are men. When it listed those five men, they're from five different countries. That's men from five different countries. It's men from very different economic status. Manian grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, the king. He grew up with the king. He grew up in the king's household. You have Simon of Niger. He has black skin. You have Saul from Tarsus. He's more of a Turkish type of descent. You have people from five different countries, five different languages, different pigmentation, different economic strata, but they're all coming together in the church in Antioch. Not only do they have different skin color, different cultures, different languages, they also have different giftings. You see a prophet, it says they're prophets, they're teachers. We know that Barnabas and Paul were actually apostles. You have different giftings. I want to tell you guys, so many times as the church, we unify around one country, or we unify around one denomination, or one gifting, or one doctrine. These men are coming together because they're a new creation in Christ. I should be getting some amens right there. So the church in Antioch, and there's no wonder that it becomes the greatest missional church in the Bible. Why? Because it's people of different nations living among each other. That is why this church is becoming so missional, is because you're sitting next to someone from Vietnam, you're sitting next to someone from Uganda, you're sitting next to someone from the Congo, you're sitting next to someone from Somalia, you're sitting next to someone from China, you're sitting next to someone from Thailand, all these different countries that are in this church, and when something goes on in Thailand, your heart breaks because it's not just those people over there. That's your friend's family who's sitting in the seat next to you at church. And all of a sudden, we're exposed to the greater needs of the world, and we say, those aren't just people over there. That's my friend. That's their family. His aunt, his uncle, his mom, his dad live in that country. And so all of a sudden, your eyes become open because you realize these people are just like me. They're a new humanity in Christ because they've given their lives to Christ. Let's finish this. Let's come to the end. Verse 16, 17, and 18. And in one body to reconcile both to him, to God, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Gentiles who are far away, Jews who are close. Now, I, I just want to bring it closer to home for a moment because a friend that studies ethnology has told me before, you know, it's hard for us as Americans to wrap our minds around the Jew and the Gentile conflict. So he says, whenever you read that in the Bible, if you want to feel the weight of emotion more in the United States, read it as white and black. That's an interesting thought because we've all studied the history of slavery in this country. We all have watched the films and read the books on the civil rights movement. So let me just be very stereotypical for a second for the sake of of illustration and let me give you a hypothetical situation that you could easily encounter in this church. 
how could an inner city poor black man have a deep, loving, heartfelt friendship with someone from a a wealthy, maybe Rancho Santa Fe background who's a white man? How can those two people be friends? Because on the surface level, they don't have anything in common. They don't have geography in common. They don't have ethnicity in common. They don't have education in common. They don't have economic availability or accessibility in common. They don't have hobbies in common. They probably don't have uh, political ideology in common. So how on earth could they be dear friends? How on earth could they have a close relationship? It's because their inner man is identical. Their inner man is exactly the same. When they have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, they've been born again through the Spirit. The wall of hostility, the barrier that separates them is gone. And so they can find themselves even closer to each other than they might someone in their own family. Why? Because they are spiritually alive. They are new men. They are one new humanity in Christ. And so all over, I love watching this church because people, it's like the old show, The Odd Couple. People that you would never put together are like best friends. They're hanging out. They're homies. And it just puts a big smile on my face. I remember when we first were starting the church, there were seven of us adults that came to plant this church. And my family got here before anyone else. So I said, I know we're called the City Heights area. So I just started driving in to City Heights. I was living in the college area. I'd drive up there in my Suburban. I'd walk into Rosa Parks. I was the only person that looked like me. And I would walk up to just a group of, of, typically it was gangsters, walk up to them and go, hey, I'm Robert. And they'd just look at my hand like, what are you doing? And I I remember talking to one guy, and he said, uh, he just looked at my hand. I said, hey, man. I'm like, okay, what do I say next? I'm Robert. I love Jesus. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I want to pray for you. And he went, okay, man. Grabbed my hand. And then he he says, come here. Introduces me to another group. He goes, hey, this is Robert. He's cool peoples. I was like, what a me. We should have named our church Cool People's Church, right? I wonder what would have happened if we... And they let me in, but they looked at me like I came from a different planet. Come to find out they thought I was an undercover cop. (laughs) By showing up, they're like, what is this 30-year-old, tall, white gringo doing in the midst of us? A few months later, after a small group of us had gathered on state campus of all different ethnicities, I show back up in the park with two black brothers and one Latino brother. And we go in all together. And on that day was the first day we saw someone come to the Lord. But not just one. We saw three people make decisions for Christ that day. Why is that? Why is that? Let let me just illustrate it here. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his households. Why? Because they saw one new household coming into the park. 
They thought, we know that in normal life, people hang out with people like them. But I want to tell you, one of the most powerful products of the gospel is ethnic reconciliation. And so when people see true, deep friendships, not just politically correct, like, yeah, I like your food. Yeah, it's kind of cool to hang out with you because it shows that I'm you know, open-minded, I watch your movie, you watch mine. No, it's about deep friendship. It's about deep relationships. And when they saw me next to one guy that's black and one guy that's Latino, and we're all sharing the gospel together and all loving on each other, it is a powerful representation that Christ is at work making us new creations, and therefore we are one. And you can clap while I take a glass, a drink of water. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, we are made one humanity, one creation. But don't say this. Don't say, yeah, that's right, because I don't see color. Well, if you don't see color, you're blind. (laughs) And when you say that, you minimize the beautiful uniqueness of how God has created us. Right? Because... We are not just a uniform, homogenous building. No, God is taking all different kinds of bricks and putting them together. He's taking one of those mosaics where you have tons of faces and then you put it all together and then it's this beautiful painting. He's taking each one of those with your distinctive language and your distinctive culture and they all have deposits of God's character in them. So don't say, well, I don't see, I don't see color, I don't see ethnicity. No, then you're minimizing the glory of God. Right? Because some people dance like this, you know? And some people, you know, I mean, they're... (laughs) We have our different ways and they reflect different attributes of the glory of God. Of God, and we celebrate that diversity, but then the power of the cross to bring unity. And we become God's household. We become a temple which says, for the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is coming for many but one. God is coming for diversity that's unified. God is coming for people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. And when those people are coming in all of their diversity, in all of their uniqueness, but unified as one body, it reveals the glory and majesty and awe-inspiring nature of God himself. And that's why we're so excited about what God's doing in our midst. Why don't we stand up? As you stand up, I want to give you a a charge. Because I don't want to just inspire you with a theological concept. So I'm going to have you repeat some words. This is how you can practically give yourself to this. First say, put 
Everyone say put. The first thing you need to do is put yourself in scenarios where you're around people of other ethnicities. Congratulations, you're doing that this morning. But we could still be in a room like this or a church like this and still cluster off with people that are just like us. The second word is stay. Say stay. You start a conversation with someone of another ethnicity, but we all hate to be uncomfortable. And we're not good at relating to people that aren't like us. So fight the urge to run off. Fight the urge to go and remove yourself and stay. Push past the discomfort. Number three, say share. Share your story. We're all humans. We all have stories. And we build relationship by sharing what's happened in our lives. So ask people about their story. Ask people what they enjoy doing. Ask people what kind of food they like. Ask people what makes them happy. And we build relationship through that. And lastly, say go. I want to encourage you all as a part of this church to go to a different nation at some time. And you will understand what it's like to be a foreigner. You'll understand what it's like to not speak the language. And our hearts grow in compassion and our minds grow in understanding of how we should be more open-armed and accepting of those around us. Would you just close your eyes? And I want to pray this over us as a work that God would do for us to be many from all different countries and ethnic groups, but one in the Spirit. Father, here we are, your church, unified under the name of Jesus. And we pray that you do a deep work in us that we would love the different peoples that you have created and that we would value the different work and the different redemptive gifts that you put in them and that we would purpose our lives to build friendships across barriers and across gaps so that we could truly represent the body of Christ in the way that you intended it to be. Amen. Prayer team, come forward. Right now, we're gonna end with just singing a last song. If you need prayer this morning, if you need healing, if you need to commit your life to Christ, I'd invite you to come up and pray with one of these friends. If there's something in this message that's deeply touched you or impacted you and you say, I just need prayer for that. And lastly, if you're physically sick, we wanna pray for you. We wanna lay hands on you and ask for God to touch you and heal you. Whatever your need is this morning, we wanna be here to pray for you as we sing this last song, finishing our time.